This is Dan Figel, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. This is our Thursday episode, which we call Making the Business Case. This is where we don't talk about use cases. That's what we cover on Tuesdays. On Thursday, we talk about buying AI, selling AI, and measuring the ROI of artificial intelligence and the bigger picture of AI in business. And today, we speak with Nick Pilkington, who is the CTO and founder of Drone Deploy. Drone Deploy has raised an awful lot of money to apply drone technologies and computer vision to the maintenance of uh, heavy machinery and other expensive equipment. Um, and we speak with Nick about an important topic that we've been writing more about here at Emerge, which is really around building AI products that clients will actually use. How do we build AI solutions that really keep the barrier to deployment low, that keep the, the barriers to the kind of AI maturity, the kind of AI understanding that the client needs very low so that even if they're novice level with regards to this technology, they can still make the most of the solution that we build. Some of you listening in are already customers of our roadmap for building an AI product, which can be found under emerj.com slash reports. Pretty easy to find all of our reports there on that one page. But this is also a topic we've written more and more about at Emerge Plus. When COVID-19 first hit, my presumption was that companies were going to focus more and more on pre-trained models and more and more on finding minimal data sources that they could garner maximum value from, putting less of an emphasis on transforming the data infrastructure of their clients and more emphasis on quick accessibility. I think Drone Deploy is a great example of a company that's really succeeded with that approach as opposed to a very bespoke, hands-on, white-glove approach to unique client data. And it's something really important for those of you who are thinking about building AI products or building out a suite of AI services for a new company. So whether you're a consultant or you run a vendor company or thinking about spinning out a company, I think this episode will be exceedingly helpful. We've recently released a two-part series on different AI business models, and these are topics that we explore in our Emerge Plus membership. So if you want to see our full list of infographics and kind of decision-making criteria for building your AI product or service company or kind of designing AI products and services that are going to win in the market, then be sure to check out Emerge Plus. That's really where you can get the next-level resources, not only our full library of use cases with unimpeded access to absolutely everything in a simple visual search tool, but all of our resources on measuring AI ROI and also building an AI company. Again, we talk a lot recently about AI business models and their various pros and cons, and Emerge Plus members have really enjoyed that. I think you might too. Check it out at emerj.com slash P1, that's P as in plus, and then the number one, emerj.com slash P1, and you can learn more about Emerge Plus if you're not already a member. So that's all for my intro. Let's fly in with Nick at Drone Deploy here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Nicholas, glad to have you back on a Making the Business Case episode. We're going to talk about kind of ease of deployment and finding ways to integrate AI into existing enterprise workflows. Before we do that, you know, your work at Drone Deploy varies. Some clients, it's a much more robust kind of integration of the client's talent and your your talent, of the client's tech and your tech. Others are kind of plugging and playing it as a software. Can you maybe address that gradient for folks that aren't familiar with your business? Absolutely. I, I think when it comes to machine learning, you've got a, this kind of spectrum of sophistication among our customer base. There are some customers that have their own in-house machine learning teams and they're training their own models and they're, they've got these models in hand and they're coming to drone deploy saying, hey, we need to plug this into our existing workflow. And in those cases, our role as a company is to make sure that we're providing the flexibility with drone deploy software that we can plug into our customers' existing workflow without disrupting everything and bring that kind of machine learning intelligence and efficiency gains 
to their whole workflow. On the other end of the spectrum, there are customers that are less familiar with machine learning, but they still want to benefit from those, those machine learning products. And there, our role is, is actually to take on the machine learning task and to provide new machine learning-based tools within Drone Deploy that just surface to those customers. So where they would ordinarily just be performing visual inspections with drones, now those visual inspections are machine learning powered and they're much more efficient and they're highlighting issues automatically. So we want to service sort of both ends of the, the spectrum there. And I think the reality is still in 2020, productionizing machine learning tools is still a challenge. There's, there's a lot of software that kind of makes it easier and is making things more commoditized, but it's not just about training the model. It's not this kind of fire and forget process where you set something up once and then it just works forever. It's really this kind of iteration of getting something working, adjusting, retraining. And it's all of that kind of integration work and the support for that whole model running in production that, that we want to provide to make it easy for our customers. And I want to go into what those elements are of making that production model work, because that's the nitty gritty that I think the business crowd who, you know, didn't go to Carnegie Mellon for data science, they might have gone to, you know, Wharton for business could really use some detail on. But just just to flesh this out and put this in context, Drone Deploy, obviously, you folks use drones. Is it primarily for infrastructure inspection, Nick, or should we frame your company in sort of a little bit of a wider sense here so people know what you do? Yeah, we actually operate across industries. I think our largest three industries are construction, agriculture, and energy. But there's this huge long tail of use cases in drones. There is vertical infrastructure, there's search and rescue operations, mining and aggregates. Just I think at this point, we're finding that almost any industry can in some way benefit from aerial imagery. Got it. In that context of training algorithms and deploying models in that world, you know, we, we could talk about, you know, inspecting some kind of oil and gas equipment. We could talk about inspecting crops. You know, I imagine you folks work the whole gambit there. What are those real considerations for deploying models? Again, we want to make this as easy as we can, especially, you know, you do, Nick, you, you're selling this stuff. So you want to be able to get this up and working for clients as quick as possible. What are the factors that really have to fit into play that are sometimes quite challenging, but you got to work through them to actually make deployment work? Absolutely. I, I think the first is, the, is typically the machine learning problem that you're looking to solve. How bespoke and how custom is it? There are a bunch of very common patterns in machine learning. If you're looking for objects in an image or you're looking to classify an image as good or bad or exhibiting a problem or not exhibiting a problem, there are kind of cookie cutter approaches to those sort of tasks in machine learning. And I think that's where Drone Deploy can do an excellent job off the shelf by providing a bunch of machine learning technology that our clients can just plug into straight away and reap the benefits of. On the more bespoke side, if you're digging deeper into these different verticals and more specific problems and more nuanced machine learning solutions, then I think it's much more of an iterative process. And that's where Drone Deploy will typically defer to those customers to really understand the domain where they're trying to solve this problem and how to bring a machine learning solution into production, which usually involves getting a model up and running, running it on some type of infrastructure, which Drone Deploy can take care of, and then working to improve it. And what that typically means is letting it run, assessing the outputs, making corrections, and retraining it. And I think that's one of the parts of deploying machine learning solutions in production that's typically overlooked. I think a lot of people think that it's, it's a one-off process, whereas it's an ongoing investment to build and maintain and improve a machine learning solution. And I think that's where having all that drone imagery in one place 
making it accessible to these customers' machine learning models and plugged into their workflow from the beginning makes that a lot more compelling and a lot easier to handle. Can you walk us through, you know, you can pick whatever industry comes to mind, Nicholas, you know, walk us through that consistent, iterative building, development, et cetera, that, that you were just articulating, you know, what does that look like in, in practice? Again, pick any business process and then just kind of give us a mental picture here. I'd love to imagine what you're seeing in your head. Awesome. Um, let's imagine we're inspecting oil tanks on a site and these tanks need to be inspected once a month and we're looking for rust on any of the hatches on these tanks. So that's typically a, a manual process, but now every month a drone flies over that site, collects a bunch of imagery, and a person looks through that imagery instead of having to be on the site. Then initially we may train a model just on the results of one of those inspections. So we'll take all of those images, we'll label them as which of them are showing evidence of rust, and we'll train a model that stands up alongside the human inspection. So the second month when we do that inspection, those images have already got the problems highlighted in them, but a person still goes through and checks and confirms. And every time a person sees one of those issues that the machine learning algorithm has tagged correctly, it marks that in the interface. And every time it sees the machine learning algorithms made a mistake, it just deletes that annotation. So now you're still performing the inspection and the person is still looking through those images manually, but that process has gone through a lot quicker and in the background, that machine learning algorithm has now learned a bunch more data. It's learned where it's made a mistake and it's learned where it was correct. And then in month three, when that process takes place, the result is even more accurate. And it's kind of this ongoing correction cycle that makes these algorithms more and more efficient, more and more robust, and ultimately better for the business. Yeah. And I, well, I think that's the golden dream is that it's better in month three. Obviously that's not always the case, <laughs> right? But, but um, it, it, there's oodles and oodles of examples of, of the opposite happening. But of course, to your point, that is the goal and it is an attainable goal, right? This is computer vision. I mean, this is, you're, you're not talking about, a, I don't know, creating a black hole here. I mean, this is, this is something that's been done. So in terms of monitoring that algorithm sort of performance, I think when we talk about that improved performance three months out, clearly this ongoing labeling and feedback the objective of it would be to have a better and better algorithm that could could help us more and more on the job. What does it look like to monitor that, to say, hey, is this algorithm starting to drift in a way where it's really labeling things that are kind of wonky and I'm not sure what's happening here? Or, or, hey, it's getting better in these areas, but not in these areas. What does a quality control look like? Because that's not exactly a business process that most agriculture or you know oil and gas firms are, are, are used to doing. Walk us through, I guess, what that separate, again, yeah, quality control process looks like. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think what's nice about deploying these solutions is you can start seeing incremental benefits. So something you may look at when it comes to these inspections are how long are the inspections taking? And you're going from manual to semi-automated inspections, you'll immediately see a decrease in the amount of time that that takes. At the same time, the operator can track the number of false positives that a machine learning algorithm is making, the, the number of times it incorrectly tags an issue and needs to be corrected. And over time, you should see that inspection time rapidly decreasing as well as the number of false positives. So you see both of those metrics improving over time. But again, neither one of those need to be perfect out of the gate to actually drive ROI. Even if you improve these sort of efficiencies by 50%, you're still kind of gaining. And it's ongoing about like how, how good do these things need to be to stop investing and to actually just leave it in a steady state and say, oh, well, this is great. We've, we've dropped our inspection times by 90%. That's good enough for us. We'll just stay there. 
Got it. And obviously, maybe the the results will start to get fuzzier. Maybe we get some new kinds of equipment, or we have different kinds of lighting or camera or something. And now, you know, we really do have to go back to the drawing board and do more labeling. But what you're saying is we can get to a point where that iterative training can really drop to a very thin, long tail, as opposed to more bulk training that would have to happen up front. Am I am I framing that correctly? Absolutely. And and if you already have a lot of imagery up front, a lot of examples of the the kind of problem that you're looking to to call out on the images, that iterative process can be really short. And you, you may well have enough or diverse enough imagery up front that this problem is solved from the machine learning point of view. Cool. I'm kind of wondering to myself here, who generally is doing this sort of, uh, you mentioned false positives. You know, Who's monitoring that and getting a sense of that? It would seem to me like you, the vendor, would be kind of tackling that and have some kind of an ongoing communication with whoever your business champion is to say, hey, look, here's how we're performing. You know, here's what we're seeing on the back end. Or is sometimes the client steering that? They're using your interface and their own data science expertise to sort of do that quality control stuff. What, what is the communication rhythm uh, between you and the client and also the roles, respectively, in, in terms of this monitoring? Absolutely. I mean, it's pretty opaque from our client's point of view. They're simply using software like Drone Deploy to perform the inspections manually. But what's happening behind the scenes is we're actually seeing how many of the suggestions that the machine learning algorithms are making are being accepted versus rejected by the person doing the inspection. And those are the metrics that we're looking at to see how effective the machine learning algorithms are actually being at doing the same thing that the manual inspector would do. So it's just by virtue of using the tool to do their own inspections that these algorithms are getting better and the inspections are becoming more efficient. There's no sort of extra channel of communication on like how well is it doing. It's simply usage. Huh. So so there isn't a like uh, an update cadence, so to speak, as like, hey, client, how's your experience been with the product? All right, cool. Hey, look, here's what we're seeing on our end. You know, it seems like people are labeling successfully because I can see this going up. Like that's not part of that ongoing convo. We can report on that, but typically you can see that from the usage of the product. If you imagine like trying to perform one of these inspections where you're looking at a bunch of images for issues, but immediately that you look at those issues, there are already a bunch of suggested areas where those issues are on the image and you're simply clicking to accept or reject them rather than having to draw your own locations. That's a really, really strong metric of how well the machine learning algorithms are doing at automating these tasks. And certainly we'll check in with these customers on their, their perception of the results, but the rate at which they accept and reject the suggestions of the machine learning algorithm, that's a really strong indicator for how automated it is. Got it. So last question I'll throw out here, Nick, is around the present and future of AI products. You folks have built a product that you know various companies use. You mentioned the, the industries that you operate in now. I sort of think about AI products in a couple different ways. There's, there's going to be products that really do a great job, and, and I, I really mean great as in I consider it laudable and good, a great job of hiding and not bothering the customer with the nitty gritty of what it looks like to maintain, retrain, and get their hands too dirty with linear algebra and with machine learning itself. And, and that might be, you know, your example of your kind of lower maintenance customers, so to speak. I don't know if that's the right term, but the folks who are more or less just using it as a software where they look through your interface so that they have images more highlighted for what they're looking for. It might be rust or corrosion, for example. You know, it's just, it's a simply a, a new highlighted interface as opposed to them having to manually inspect it in person or them having to manually look at one image, one image, one image 500 times. There's that instance where we're 
just a tiny snippet into a workflow. Nobody's really got to get their hands too dirty with machine learning itself. There's a, another kind of product, which is neither better nor worse. In fact, in many cases, it's just not possible because companies aren't ready for it, where we really leverage ML along kind of the entire workflow and change a lot of elements of the workflow itself to more thoroughly kind of overhaul or evolve a process, not just augment human smarts in this one little spot or this one little spot, but literally sort of evolve a business process in a much more robust from the ground up way you know, we see a lot of success with the first kind of firms because enterprises are just not even ready to make a big stretch into kind of newer processes. Do you see maybe just in the space that you operate, do you see this transmuting into a much deeper integration evolution of AI products like yours? Do you see it staying in these more sniper style, you know, workflow snips as you guys operate today? What are your thoughts about the future there? Well, I think from the business point of view, there could be a lot of perceived risk in, in overhauling a whole workflow in one go and just trying to roll everything out with machine learning. I think a lot of our clients are responding really well to this incremental approach yes. of having a workflow in place and slowly parts of that workflow are becoming more accurate or more efficient or less error prone and slowly sort of baking in machine learning and incorporating machine learning in different parts of it is this kind of like crawl, walk, run approach where slowly this whole existing process becomes extremely efficient, but it's done so incrementally as, as opposed to trying to kind of rethink everything from the ground up, where in a lot of these industries, everything is so established that it's, it's almost impossible to do that sometimes. So you really have to work with where the client currently is and how they're currently running these workflows and slowly transition parts of it to more technology, more machine learning, more automation and then kind of affect that change over time as opposed to sort of a one big overhaul. For sure. I mean, again, as I, as I mentioned, I consider it to be laudable when companies find ways to hide the complexity. I think that in the future, you know, if we talk about oil and gas 40 years from now, I mean, even, even 15 years from now, there may be entire portions of the business that are radically different than what they are today as things become more and more digitized. Of course, we need piecemeal ways to sort of get ourselves there. When you do look farther ahead, Nick, you know, kind of closing note here, you look ahead, I don't know, a decade, half a decade. Are there more radical shifts that this kind of drone solution might lead to as we continue to get incremental? Do we increment to something a little bit more inclusive in terms of what the AI can handle in terms of the workflow? Anything you have in mind that you see as kind of the zeitgeist of the future here? Absolutely. I think where we currently are, we're on this kind of three-step process where the drones fly, they process the imagery, and then they analyze the result. And I think as we kind of go forward a couple of years, you're going to see a fourth and final stage to that process, which is going to be ACT. And they're going to be vehicles on job sites taking action automatically based on the results of that analysis. And I think that's where you get to this really exciting closed loop system where they're going to be parts of industry and construction and agriculture and energy that can be entirely automated, where you will have vehicles on every job site that on a schedule take off collect a visual assessment of the site, analyze that imagery, decide which actions need to be taken, and send that to other vehicles that take action automatically. And I think the clearest example of that is potentially in construction and agriculture, where you could have drones flying over fields, assessing what inputs need to be made into the field, and then sending that information to an applicator, which then sort of takes off and does um, crop spraying or if an orchard is ready to harvest, a vehicle can go out and harvest, harvest the oranges. And, 
and closing that loop on some of these industries, which they can really start to automate themselves. I think that's the next step change in this industry where we actually start to take these actions automatically with unmanned vehicles as opposed to performing the inspections. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I, I like that as a, uh, I, I got all this sci-fi stuff dancing in my head now about where that can where that can head off to, but it'll be neat to see a, a couple things. Number one, how that comes to manifest in the future, how that actual action loop, as you'd mentioned, kind of closing the loop, quote unquote, you know, where, where that leads. Secondly, where companies like yours will fit into the mix, right? Are you guys going to remain the drone intelligence that kicks off those actions? Or are you also going to have an ecosystem of the, the hardware that actually goes and takes those actions? You know, who the heck knows, but, but what, a, what a wild space it'll be 10 years from now, I guess. No, it's going to be super exciting. I mean, it all plays into our single vision of the future is that there is going to be a drone on every job site and the capabilities and the abilities of those vehicles is just going to increase over time. It's going to be super exciting. A drone on every job site. Well, you heard it from the man himself. Nicholas, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the AI and Business Podcast. Thanks for having me, Dan. It was great. So that's all for this Thursday Making the Business Case episode here on the AI and Business Podcast. Again, if you're interested in AI business model building, check out emerj.com slash p1 and you can learn more about Emerge Plus and check out some of the resources we have for going to market with a new AI product as well as the various pros and cons of different AI product business models where Emerge Plus members have a lot of resources to be able to dig into. So you can learn more at emerj.com slash p1. That's all for this episode. Next week on our use case episode for Tuesday, we're going to be bringing back one of my favorite guests from IBM, uh, who also happens to be a podcast listener, who's going to be speaking about some very unique and novel use cases across healthcare and other sectors. If you're interested in new and interesting ways of using AI in industry that you probably haven't heard of, and we certainly haven't covered on the show, next Tuesday is going to be a novel one, and so you'll want to make sure to tune in. I'll catch you then, right here on the AI and Business Podcast. 